This week, two of the biggest professional sports leagues are getting back to work. Basketball and baseball players are reporting to training camps as the two leagues try to play sports in the middle of a pandemic. What the NBA and what Major League Baseball are are billion-dollar businesses trying to recoup lost revenue and figure out a way to survive in a world that changed overnight in the middle of March. And I think it could show how people can get back to work and restore some sort of sense of normalcy during these deeply abnormal times. Ben Cohen covers the NBA. And he says that while businesses around the country may look to these leagues for lessons in reopening, the two leagues are taking very different approaches. Basketball is moving its league to a so-called bubble in Florida. Baseball, on the other hand, plans to play games all across the country. I feel crazy when I look at the NBA plan and the baseball plan because these leagues were handed similar versions of the same problem and they have come to wildly different conclusions about the best way to proceed. These two major sports leagues came to these wildly different scenarios in many ways because of economics. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Friday, July 10th. Coming up on the show, how labor disputes have set the NBA and MLB on very different paths to a comeback. If only life had a remote control, you could pause or rewind. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. Take the one-minute risk test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Basketball is probably not a game that you want to be playing when there's a highly contagious virus going around. Players spend hours indoors, breathing and sweating all over each other. So the NBA's plan to get the league going again is to basically create a bubble. The NBA will hold games in empty arenas and have players, coaches, and staff quarantine in hotels to try and keep the coronavirus out. And they've chosen Disney World as the place to put that bubble. It's like a protected biodome that is meant to minimize the risk and try to figure out how to keep playing basketball in a pandemic. In order to pull off this idea of creating a coronavirus-free zone inside an amusement park, the NBA had to come up with a very big rule book. There's a lot of careful, exhaustive, occasionally absurd attention to detail that is in these 113 pages. They have to wear masks basically everywhere but the court. And everyday life in the bubble will be subject to all these restrictions as well. So, you know, they can sit at the pool, but chairs have to be six feet apart and they have to be disinfected before they get there. It's such an enormously complex logistical undertaking to get this off the ground. Um, And scientists and researchers and doctors are sort of surprisingly confident in the NBA's ability to pull this off. They have looked at the plan and they've decided that This is among the most comprehensive in all American sports, and certainly among the major American sports leagues. Before ever setting foot in the Disney bubble, players had to get tested for COVID every other day at home for weeks. And about 7% of players have tested positive. Players who tested negative started arriving at Disney World this week to report for training camp. Players like Duncan Robinson... 
I'm uh, I'm Duncan Robinson. I play for the Miami Heat. I'm in my second year in the NBA, and I'm currently in the bubble. I called up Duncan at his hotel room to hear more about what life is like inside. I know you've got a, a meeting at two, so we'll try to be quick. Sounds good, man. Yeah, as, as long as we're done before two, I'm, I'm all good. We're doing Zoom Pilates as a team at two. <laughs> is that going to be the first Zoom Pilates that you've ever done in your life? No, we've been doing them about twice a week uh, ever since quarantine started. After quarantining in Miami for weeks, Duncan and the rest of his team drove up to Orlando on Wednesday. They took multiple team buses, enough for everyone to spread out. Can you tell me what it was like when you first arrived at the bubble? Yeah, sure. It it was definitely uh, kind of a surreal experience just because the last whatever weeks or months, there's been all this anticipation for this moment in terms of actually all coming together in one place and and playing. And, uh, you know, when we got here, you know, it's similar to what you've probably seen around in public. Everyone's wearing masks. Everyone's keeping their distance. Um, we kind of came in. We had a 15-minute meeting with the league about just protocol, and then we began our initial quarantine. Before they're allowed to move around in the Disney complex, players have to quarantine for two more days in their hotel rooms. It's a little bit small, but, you know, it's, it's what you'd expect. You're pretty standard hotel room, um, similar to what we would get on the road. You know, obviously, you look at it a little bit differently when you realize it's going to be your home for the next three months, but that's just kind of how it goes. After the initial quarantine, players can leave their rooms, but they'll still be tested regularly, and they can't leave Disney World. The goal is that these players will not go into the community, so they'll basically be protected from the world around them. In fact, there are punishments if they go into Orlando, if they're spotted at a restaurant or if they happen to participate in any of the local nightlife. If they get caught outside the bubble, they could be subject to almost two weeks of quarantine and risk missing out on games and practices and letting down fans and teammates. So it seems like most players will probably stay put. But how comfortable they are living in a hotel room for months might depend on how good their team is. They're living in hotels, three different hotels. They're all Disney World hotels. And in fact, the funniest part of all of this is that the hotels were assigned based on how good your team is. So the NBA decided that the Grand Destino Hotel was their top flight hotel. So the best eight teams in the league are staying there. The next eight teams are staying at the Grand Floridian. And then the last six teams are at the Yacht Club. But you should really talk to Jared about all that. Our colleague Jared Diamond is also a sports reporter, and he happens to be obsessed with Disney World. I heard that you have some opinions about the Disney hotels that the NBA players are using. Oh, that is correct. I have (laughs) many opinions about them. I was pretty surprised to see the top tier was not staying at the Grand Floridian Hotel, which is the flagship Disney hotel, the one that costs much money, and instead are being put at a hotel called Grandestino Tower, which is the newest hotel, but not necessarily the best. Okay. So, of course, I did a little digging on this, trying to figure out why that is. I got a few answers. One of them made a lot of sense, which was the Grandestino Tower has the tallest shower heads. And when you're dealing with NBA players, that actually does seem important. Aside from investigating the conditions at the NBA hotels, Jared has been following Major League Baseball's comeback plan. How different is Major League Baseball's plan from the NBA's plan? Couldn't be more different. Baseball is not 
setting up a bubble. Baseball is planning on having players travel around the country, stay in hotels, go from stadium to stadium. And they're planning on doing it, of course, with no fans in attendance, but they are not sequestering people in one location or a couple of locations. In this situation, baseball players are essentially going to be out on the wild and on the honor system to make good choices when they're not at the ballpark. The MLB does have a long list of rules for players when they are at the ballpark. No spitting, no high fives, wearing masks when they're in the dugout, and players will be tested for COVID every other day. But the league isn't quarantining players. They're planning to fly them all around the country. And that aspect of baseball's comeback plan has raised eyebrows among public health officials. I'm not saying that this baseball plan can't work, but I am saying it's going to be really, really challenging, and we're just not sure how this is going to go. What exactly led to this challenging plan? You can boil it down to economics. It all starts with the relationship between team owners and the players' union. The MLB has one of the most powerful unions in pro sports, and that union has won players a lot of concessions over the years, notably giant paychecks. Major League Baseball does not have a salary cap. That is the only major American sport that does not have a salary cap. Players can be paid whatever teams are willing to pay them. It is the closest thing to a true free market capitalistic system. The other pro sports leagues, including basketball, have a very different system called revenue sharing. If the overall league makes more money, players' salaries go up. That system limits how much money players can make, but it does mean that players and team owners share a common goal. Which is, let's make more money for the league, because then it's more money in the player's pocket. In baseball, not the case. Because whatever money is not going to the players is going to the owners, and vice versa. What that does is it creates, by default, an incredibly adversarial relationship between the baseball players and the owners. And so when baseball went to the table to hash out a plan for how to come back, things were rocky from the start. You know, there was a time at the very beginning of all of this where baseball thought about trying to put up a bubble. It was something that was considered. There were a few problems uh, with it. The biggest one was player resistance. The players' union was really resistant to the idea of a bubble, in part because at the time, the idea was that they would try to play, you know, 100 games. Players were concerned about being quarantined away from their families for so long. So the bubble idea eventually collapsed, and the league had to come up with a different kind of plan. And that's when a long-standing issue between the players' union and the league came back to the forefront. Money. Players wanted to get paid the same per game as they would during a normal season. But league owners disagreed. The owners said, well, without fans in attendance, we need you to take even less. The players refused, and it led to months of fighting and arguing that got incredibly, incredibly bitter. There were angry letters back and forth. At one point, Commissioner Rob Manfred said that MLB might just cancel the season entirely. And then, with talks completely stalled, the commissioner went for a nuclear option. He used a clause that was written into a prior agreement between the players and the league, which allowed the commissioner to force a comeback plan. Essentially what happened was that Commissioner Rob Manfred used his power, which he had, to just impose a season on the players and say, show up. They never actually came to an agreement, and things are as ugly as they could possibly be. 
The NBA, on the other hand, has had a very different experience crafting its comeback plan. And again, it has to do with money. Here's Ben. Basketball's players and the league office work together and they seem to understand the power of working together because the players and the league owners split revenues. They are incentivized to work together um, to sort of grow the pot of money that is available. And, you know, that structure is very different in basketball than it is in baseball. How do you think this revenue share factored into how the NBA and the players worked out a reopening plan? Well, I think it's hugely important because it shows why both sides are willing to make a deal here because, you know, they do both have a lot of money at stake and they understand the importance of keeping the season alive. The league and the players did hit some snags. Some players were concerned about safety, and some didn't want to distract from the Black Lives Matter movement. But the two sides were in close contact throughout negotiations. There are all types of these complex decisions from, you know, whether it would be in Disney World, whether it would be one site or whether it would be a whole bunch of sites that really came into play that had to be negotiated as they went. The reason why the league was able to get those cleared so quickly was because the players had a big stake in shaping them. And last month, the union and the league reached a final agreement. So the NBA has rules that have been poured over by players and owners for weeks, and the MLB has rules determined largely by the commissioner. How have those two plans been going so far as more players start showing up for work? That's after the break. If only life had a remote control, you could pause or rewind. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. Take the one-minute risk test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Welcome back. Right out of the gate, the MLB's comeback plan has run into trouble. The league promised that it would test players for COVID every other day, with results coming within 24 hours. But this past weekend, as players reported to training camp, several teams said that their test results were taking longer than 24 hours to arrive. If the results do not come back in 24 hours, uh, they simply cannot play because then you run the risk of players playing games, being around their teammates for days, not knowing if they have tested positive for coronavirus. And as a result, there's been players sort of showing concern. There's been teams already canceling workouts, sort of putting out angry statements, sort of criticizing Major League Baseball for not making this quicker, for not sort of following their own rules. And already Major League Baseball is trying to find another lab or two to try to help process these tests. But it's a bad start. In one interview, Chicago Cubs star Chris Bryant said, quote, I wanted to play this year because I thought it would be safe and I would feel comfortable. But honestly, I don't really feel that way. Major League Baseball released a statement saying that more than 95% of that first round of tests had been conducted, analyzed, and shared with teams. The league said, quote, the health and safety of our players and employees will remain our highest priorities. Some players have gone beyond criticizing the league. They've decided not to play. 
We've already seen several veteran players, some, you know, somewhat big names like David Price of the Dodgers, Ryan Zimmerman of the Nationals, Felix Hernandez and Nick Markakis of the Braves all said they're not playing. And there's still some expectation that we're going to see more players saying they just don't think it's worth their while to take the risks that they're going to have to take. The NBA start has hit some snags, too. Like baseball, some players have elected not to play. But mostly, the NBA's hiccups have been of the smaller variety, like the food. Duncan Robinson, the player from the Miami Heat, sent Ben a voice memo when he got his first meal inside the bubble. They just delivered our first meal, and, um, you know, it's definitely the, the presentation is a little bit different. They got what looked to be like airline food on trays, food that maybe they're not really used to eating. I mean, clearly the quality was a little bit better than what we're used to on, you know, a budget airline. For sanitation purposes, they separate everything out. So, for example, you know, we have a salad um, and all the different parts of the salad have been separated uh, into individual sealed compartments. And then you have to put it all together. I don't think Duncan Robinson is used to, you know, being stuck inside of his hotel room having to construct salads from multiple different containers, right? So, um, you know, and if Duncan's not used to it, I I don't think LeBron James has done that in a very long time either. (laughs) The players won't be eating airline-style food the whole time. Once they finish their two-day quarantine, they'll be able to eat at restaurants around Disney. Other than the food, Ben says things have been going relatively smoothly. There haven't been any reports of positive tests inside the bubble yet, and players have started practicing. But even with this smooth start and all the planning, the virus could still find its way inside the bubble, particularly in a state like Florida, where coronavirus cases have been skyrocketing. What the league really fears is an outbreak on a team or enough people getting sick at the same time that they can't continue with the season. That's really the worst-case scenario here. You know, that would clearly stain everything the league is trying to do. And they can take all the precautions in the world. But if they're on the wrong side of variance on this, if one case goes poorly, they're in real trouble. If the plans for each league do work, the MLB season will begin on July 23rd and the NBA will start on July 30th. And even though stadiums will be empty, the whole country will be watching closely. Here's Jared. The reality is these leagues are no different than any other business, which is in trying to figure out the problem that is sort of confounding every business in America, really in the world right now, which is how do we continue to live and exist and do what we have to do, recognizing the pandemic is not over and might not be over for a long time. And now we have two big leagues trying two different models. And I'm sure, you know, other industries are watching to see how this goes and what some of the problems are as everyone starts figuring out if they could go back to their office at some point. That's all for today, Friday, July 10th. Just a quick note, the show is taking a break next week. We'll see you again on Monday, July 20th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Your hosts are Kate Leinbaugh and me, Ryan Knudsen. The show's made by Gerard Cole, Pia Gadkari, Annie Minoff, Afif Nasuli, Ricky Nevetsky, Sarah Platt, Willa Rubin, Annie Rostrasser, and Rob Zipko. Our show is engineered by Griffin Tanner with help from Sam Baer and Katherine Anderson. 
Our theme music is by So Wiley. Additional music this week from Katherine Anderson, Bobby Lord, Peter Leonard, Emma Munger, and Blue Dot Sessions. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasolka. Thanks for listening. See you next Monday.